trying. You know what your problem is, huh? You're so goddamn bored, you gotta invent things to bitch about. You haven't got a single thing on this earth to do except for your hair. Yeah, your closet was fine. You just needed something to take up your useless, empty, nail-polishing, toe-polishing, rich bitch, sun-tanning game. Son of Beef podcast. I'm your your host, Gary Hill. And uh, if you guys guys heard last time, and uh, if you guys didn't hear last time, I'd like to officially welcome to the show uh, my permanent co-host for Cinema Beef, X. How you doing, sir? Doing good, sir. This is my first official show as co-host. That's awesome. How's your week been, man? It's been a, it's it's been a decent week. Been a decent week. Um, relatively quiet. You know, still pissed about the Royal Rumble, but that's okay. That's not even. <laughs> That's neither here nor there, I guess, as far as this show goes. Yeah, what do you call it? Uh, I see the new rule today that they don't want intercompany relations, so, you know, that's going to ruin Total Divas, I guess. Oh, shit. <laughs> God damn it. Wow. I guess Cena's going to be even more red-faced than he usually is if he can't. That's the whole basis of that show. Oh, I know, right? Intercompany relations. That's <laughs> But yeah, it's been a good week. Had a couple other shows drop today, so I've spent a lot of time watching just stuff for those. Um, haven't had to rage quit a movie all week. What the hell? I can't remember what the hell the last thing I watched was. Duh. Oh, yeah? I've, yeah, no idea. But I have been spending a lot of time listening to the first two songs that got dropped from the new John Carpenter album. Oh, how was that? Dude, they are amazing. These are like lost tracks, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of. I mean, you'll listen to it and you'll be like, "Oh shit, that sounds like Escape from New York," or "That sounds like something from Halloween 2. But they're completely original songs, and they are great. I cannot wait to get my hands on this record. Yeah, people are all butthurt because they played the whole thing at NPR already, and you know, it's it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so what? That's shit like that's always going to happen, you know. And if you're butthurt about it, just it's like you know if. I ordered this on, you know, fucking 180-gram vinyl, and, well, then you know it's going to sound like shit streaming in comparison, so just, you know, Jesus, wait two days, you'll have it. <laughs> exactly right. Just everybody calm down. How's your week been? It's, it's been okay. It's just, you know, it's, I worked those nights, so it gets very pretty tiring, you know, during you try to get it all together for the during-the-day stuff, but yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay. 
I had, on the other hand, should have had two films in my 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 watching week that I should have rage quit, but I didn't. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, if I'm like like 45 minutes into a film, I just kind of let it flow as far, so I might as well finish it. Yeah, you're past the point of no return at that point. <laughs> yeah, in, in one of those big ones that I've heard, I've heard two people say they like this film, so. I'm not saying they're wrong. They're just misguided. Misguided, I guess I'd say. You know. Okay. Uh, I watched Annabelle this week. Oh, how was that? It, it was. It was garbage. Oh, no, no, it's just nothing happens in it. <laughs> it's, it's like you're waiting. I, I it was like fifty. It was like fifty minutes into the film, and all I got was a, a shanking, uh, a, a kitchen fire, and creepy kids drawing children of the corn pictures. Fuck that! I live with that. <laughs> And then there's the, the the best jump scare in the whole film is there's this thing I guess where this this demon he looks kind of like uh what's he he looks like oh what was the 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 was it called gargoyles the 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 Stan Winston thing yeah 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 that's what this creature looked like but it was put out there today so huh. the, you see it for like a split second inside like a boiler room and that's your biggest jump scare of the whole film. And then, of course, you know, a lot of doors closing and a lot of, you know, they, they ruin the associations cherished by putting backward masking <laughs> Latin chants behind it, you know. <laughs> wow. Don't, 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 don't do that. that. That's bad. Wow. And the, the doll, of course, is indestructible. You can bash it against a, uh, a floor or, like, a hard surface and the face doesn't even crack. So, you know... So you see, just light the thing on fire. Like, did you not see the scene where they're just grabbing that thing by the legs and just wailing it on the floor and nothing happens to it? I don't think fire's going to hurt this thing. So it kind of sounds like the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie from 1975 was scarier. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And then I, the, 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 the person I feel bad about, and this isn't really a huge, huge, huge... I'm not giving a lot of spoilers in this film, because there's not much going on in the film, so... I can spoil everything about this film, and you guys will go and watch it anyway. <laughs> I, I only paid two fifty for the digital, so me and another person got to not enjoy this film. So I think I'm, my, my money's worth. I'll pay a dollar twenty-five to see it then. See, uh, I feel sorry for Alfred Woodard because she's in this film and she's a great actress. She is. She's just slumming it in this film as some kind of occult bookstore owner or something. <laughs> Who kills herself for this doll or something? I don't know what the hell oh, are you s- about. Oh, no, those are the roles you give to CCH Pounder, not Alfred Woodard. <laughs> See, I <laughs> I disagree there. But, you know, <laughs> you know, beggars can't be choosers. You know, uh, and uh, ooh, the second film of this week, I call this the beef of the week. Uh oh. Um, I watched No Malone, which uh, it's a film that stars Vern Troyer, who is mini-me from those Austin Powers films, where he plays like this little, I don't even know if he's granting wishes, because there's this whole, this film is side plots galore, because <laughs> the, be- the beginning of the film, they, t- they talk about like the legend of like a leprechaun, and him of course granting wishes, and be gold, and all this stuff. But then this leprechaun is in, like, a rest home or something in a wheelchair at the end of the movie. But then there is this little guy who looks nothing like him, 
there's these two different actors, mind you. One, two little people, little person actors. I'd imagine these are two different entities in this film, but I'm not sure. Because for some reason, the Vern Troyer, the, the gnome, the gnome alone, is granting this, this girl's wishes, you know, because it's always sadistic in a way. Like, she, she wishes, like, not wishes, but, you know, she she has problems, I guess. And she at some point in the film, it's like, I wish somebody would just tear that girl's hair out. So naturally, here comes Vern with his pointy ears making sexual jokes, and uh, he he scalps this girl in the bed. Now the gore in this movie, it just doesn't go anywhere. The the the, the whole thing is like um, it's almost like elves. The movie Elves, in a way, if you remember that film. Oh my God, yes. But uh, the, she has some kind of tramp stamp on her back that she had no idea what was there all these years. That somehow makes her family linked to this gnome. So she's like cursed, you know, for this this gnome to follow her around and drink beer and hit random black kids. You sure it's not and, the map know, to dry land? It might be. It very well, <laughs> might be. I think there's some kind of pentagram thing. I, I feel I feel sorry. I feel sorry for Vern, but then he was typecast a long time ago. But I've met him. He's a hell of a nice guy. You know, but it's, it's this this film is it's just it's not good. But I I sat through it because it's like one of the biggest. Le- I hate to call it a leprechaun ripoff because it is, and nothing should ever be a leprechaun ripoff. No, no, it shouldn't. That's just sad. Because those leprechaun films, although I've 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 seen them all. Trust me, I've seen them all. Because there's something that keeps you coming back about Warwick Davis. But anything that's a ripoff could be just just very very bad. And this this film, if it wasn't for the gore, this is the only thing that saved it. It's just it's just not. It's like a one out of five for me, you know. Wow, it's just not very good. I didn't pay for it though. Somebody gave me a digital a digital copy of it, you know. I'm all I'm, I'm all up in my digitals now, so <laughs> you, you save a lot of money that way. I'm sorry, you know. I don't know. I guess the title like Gnome Alone, you can't really you can't really like, you, you know it was gonna be silly. Yeah, I mean, what are you expecting? I mean, you're not getting Hornswoggle, unfortunately, but you know, what, what do you do? <clears throat> Oh, shit, I did remember one movie that I did watch this week and really liked. I can't believe I forgot about it. Go for uh, if it. If you get the chance to watch Honeymoon, do it. What's Honeymoon? Honeymoon, it's 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 a low-budget thing. It's not really a found-footage movie, but it's kind of... It's low-budget, it's low budget, so it looks like it. And it's this couple, and they go to her family cabin for a honeymoon after they get married, of course, and she starts... I don't, want to, I don't. I don't want to spoil it, but she starts weirding out, and it's it gets fucked up to the point where she can't. She has to continually remind herself what her name is and what her husband's name is, and it just gets weird. And it's always extremely interesting, and it's got a incredibly depressing ending, which I fucking love. So yeah, totally watch Honeymoon. I was really surprised. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm not really huge on found footage, but I'll probably end up watching it anyway. I, I, oh yeah, I got one more little film. I, I had to watch it for a show, so I could not rage quit this film. Don't watch Half Cast on Netflix. It's a half dash C A S T E. Is that like that? Is she like half of a leopard or some shit? Yes. <laughs> it's this film about these morons that go to like the African Serengeti or something to go search out this creature. Which is like a were like a were leopard or something. God, it's like, like yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and this whole film, this is what ruins it because it wouldn't be a bad film otherwise. It's just a bunch of all the non-white actors I'm okay with because there's this whole deal where 
they go talk to witch doctors and the witch doctor doing their thing and talk to the villagers and they're doing their thing. All those parts are good. But all the white people antics in this film, like them, there's a scene of the for a, a bathroom sex scene where he's like seducing her in a way which is unnecessary. You don't see anything anyway, you know what I'm saying? So it's just one of those things where. <laughs> and then there's this thing where the villagers are fucking with the white people, of course, and telling them to eat elephant dung. It'll get rid of your headache and do, do this and do some really stupid stuff. So when you finally get to see the creature, like towards the end of the movie. And that's where it gets dumber because these are the dumbest white people on the planet. Because when this this creature invades like their their African looking way too nice motel for this area, it's they're they're running like back and forth like it's a Scooby Doo episode. All of this is a groovy you know a groovy song while they're running from the ghost you know the cast. It, 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 it ruins the film. These white people ruin this film in a way I can, you, can, you can't imagine. I, this is not a recommend for me to, to the point where they can't even throw a splash water correctly because one of them gets an idea to put lye in a bucket with water and splash it on this, this were-leopard thing. What? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's like he drops the bucket. They can't even throw water properly at this thing. You know, and it, it's... No, it's, just, it's not a good movie. I had to watch it for Terror Troop. So if you listen to the Terror Troop episode, it will probably come out either the Saturday after we record this or I think, yeah, for sure. You'll hear uh, not my hatred, but other folks' hatred for this film as well. Sounds delightful. <laughs> it, is, it is amazing. See, I watched three bad movies this week, and I have good movies on my, my, my drive. I'm like, okay, I should watch these good movies instead, you know. I always watch the shit first. <laughs> Always. I'm just compelled. Gotta cleanse that palate, you know? That's right. (laughs) Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, X, you you programmed this show, so tell the folks uh, what your concept for this show is, basically. Yeah, this is a a high-concept episode. Um, Looking at the entire range of characters that Kurt Russell has played, I kind of got the idea that if you added Snake Plissken to the guy that he played in Overboard, that you would end up with Captain Ron. Oh, like the characters you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I can see that. (laughs) Yeah, so I, you know, sat my happy ass down, watched Escape from New York and Overboard and Captain Ron and tried to see if I was right. Fair enough, man. But, um, yeah, we'll go through these one by one. I... I think we'll go chronologically, I guess, again. And we'll hit uh, Escape from New York right after this trailer. Now. New York, 1997. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled. And the United States Police Force has everything under control, they think. I'm going in. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the high adventure of the future. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. If he comes back alone, 
His nightmare has just begun. Who are you? John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Heard you were dead. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the greatest escape of them all, is about to blow the future apart. Uh, Escape from New York from 1981. Just in case you don't know the plot to this film, and you should, in 1997, in the far, far past from now, when the U.S. president crashes into Manhattan, now a giant, giant maximum, maximum security prison, a convicted bank robber, is sent in for a rescue. 7.2 on your IMDb scale. Should be high on Mother Trump. That's low. <laughs> uh, written and directed by uh, John Carpenter. With Nick Castle accompanying on the writer. If I didn't know that. That's kind of cool, though, actually. Uh, your, your key actors in the film are Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken. Lee Van Cleef as Hulk. Uh, Ernest Borgnine as Cabby. Donald Pleasance as El Presidente. Isaac Hayes as the Duke of New York. A number one. A number one. <laughs> uh, Harry Dean Stanton as Brain. Adrian Barbeau as Maggie. Tom Atkins as Remy. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of regulars. Charles Cypress as Secretary of State. Yep. Frank Doubleday's back as Romero. People people talk about quotable movies, you know? People bring up shit like Ghostbusters or Casablanca. I probably quote Escape from New York more than I quote any other movie. And I don't know if it's just because I've seen it probably 200 times since it came out, but there's something about the script of this film. It's, It's just... It's lean and... Every line is important, and you can just—I don't know—I will—I will drop the most this random ass lines from this movie, and not even realize I'm doing it. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I can see that, man. I can really see that because it's—it's uh, it's out there, man. I, I haven't seen it as much as you have, obviously, because I was a latecomer to this movie. One thing my father would always say—I always go back to my father on these shows, usually, especially like older films like this. He would always talk about Ox Baker. You know, there's that scene in this film, the I, I, iconic scene with Ox Baker, him Ox Baker fighting the the ring of death, I guess you would call it. Yes. If Ox, my father Ox Baker playing a guy named Slag. Yeah. <laughs> my, my father, when when wrestling was big, like in the territories, he would go see um, Ox Baker fight at the the Hammond Civic Center in beautiful Northwest Indiana, Ooh. and they would have they would have wrestling every weekend there. And he, he would go there and go watch, like, Ox Baker fight and Bobby the Brain Heenan fight and, you know, all these old-timey wrestlers, the Bruiser and Crusher, you know, and these are, like, the the old and, old and bloody days of wrestling, you yes. know. Yes. Although that's that's all great now, but nothing's more epic than Ox Baker on The Price is Right. I'm sorry. You know, it's, I've, I've seen that video. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Shit, excuse me. But I digress. Back to, the, back to Escape from New York. Yeah, no, it's cool. Um... <laughs> Escape from New York, I guess you, you could say it's it's character driven. Every character in it is memorable and has you know something about them that that helps propel the story forward. Also, but the main guy is Snake, and Snake is just he is the badass. Um, there's always been this theory that Kurt Russell wanted to be Batman and never got to, so he was Snake instead, and I, and I'm kind of happier with that mm-hmm. actually. Um, but you know he's got the fucking leather and camo and the gun and the eye patch and I don't know how he gets his how he got his hair so feathered so perfectly but he was just 
at the beginning of the 80s, he was just the ultimate anti-hero. He was just incredible. So I, I, I take this character and I think about all the things about this guy and it's like he's a loner Dottie you know he's a rebel you don't want to get mixed up with a guy like that but at the same time you love him because he's he's really cynical he's really funny and he's very he's loyal he's loyal even to people who aren't alive anymore you know he goes on a little bit about what they did to Fresno Bob in jail (laughs) a lot yeah 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 (laughs) You ever see Fresno Bob? No idea, but he's still bad about it. You ever see Fresno Bob? You'll never see probably what happened in Cleveland, you know, because they always go about Cleveland, you know, in, in both of these films. You right. know, and, well, and by I say both, I mean this and Escape from L.A. They always go on about what goes on in Cle- what happened in Cleveland, which you, this is a film you're probably never going to see. Exactly. <laughs> so, and I think that's one thing that I like about the guy is that he's he's gallant. Let's put it that way. I would say Pliskin has a bit of gallantry to him because, like I said, he's loyal to his friends, and even people who fuck him over, like Brain in the movie, Mm -hmm. who left him behind when Fresno Bob got caught and went to jail, he still gives Brain a second chance. And he also pushes away women who could possibly love him just because he knows that he's... he, he, He ain't that kind. You know, it's not that he doesn't dig the chicks, because I'm pretty sure he does, but... Season Hubley inside the chock full of nuts. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Take me with you, snake. Hey, take me out. <laughs> and he just mumbles at her. But, so I kind of like that. It's like, he knows the kind of, he knows himself. He knows the person that he is. What are, the, what, are, what are those floors made out of, by the way? When she gets like she gets like pulled through a floor, doesn't she, or something in that movie? I think it's made of acoustic tile. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they just reach up through that floor and grab her and pull her down. God, there's so much good about that fucking movie. The crazies when they come out at night, banging on the manhole covers to alert each other. It's time. It's time. Everybody, come out and scavenge. And that's the first movie where I saw somebody use a machine gun to cut a hole through a wall and then jump through it into another room. Yeah. I don't even know if that's possible. I don't care. It looks amazing when he does it. So, I'm trying to think what Arnie film they did that in. Oh, they yeah, there was an Arnie film where they did that. I forget now. I'll, I'll, remember, I'll remember an hour from now. But you know, there is an Arnie <laughs> film they did that too. Yeah. Well, they. I'm, I'm reasonably sure they stole it right from Escape from New York. Yeah. It's probably a racer or some shit like that. Probably. <laughs> yeah, oh, and yeah, and Snake doesn't have one-liners. I mean, it is not like he kills people, then makes a joke and walks on. He's just he's he's too tired. <laughs> That's his big line. I'm too tired. So I I don't know. I I love that character. I think the character had a pretty big effect on how action films were written after that. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> If you, people love the anti-hero and the, he's one of the, the bigger ones yeah. you know, that, that came out of mainstream Hollywood. Yeah, it was almost like they had envisioned him to be um, like the man with no name, uh, part two. Which, yeah, exactly, right? So, I don't know. Which is, which is ironic because Lee Van Cleef is in this movie and we talked about it last episode briefly. The whole scene where him and him and Van Cleef are going at it, you know, inside that the room or the office or wherever he's at. and yes. You get the, they get the scowl. It's, it's almost like an equal scowl, you know. It's like just <laughs> looking at each other with disgust and 
the, the, the big old I don't give a fuck attitude about you, you don't give a fuck about me kind of deal, which blows my mind, you know, with, with you know, him actually agreeing to this, going to go get the president, you know. It's like, what the fuck would Stakewell with a full pardon? He'd fit right in New York. Exactly. He would rule New York. Give him two <laughs> weeks. That place is his. But I really... And see, that's it. I think it was just a huge pissing contest between him and Lee Van Cleef. You know, they're saying, you can't do this? And he's like, motherfucker, I will do this <laughs> in far less time than you have allotted me. So, screw you. <clears throat> and next, let's see, you can piss the farthest, you know? Yeah, exactly. It is just a huge <laughs> pissing contest. Lay it down, get the fucking ruler out. Let's see who's got the biggest <laughs> cock. Um, I don't know anybody who doesn't like this movie. I've never met anyone who th- watched Escape from New York and just said, mm, "This is shit." Yeah, you got, you, got, you got great characters in this film. I love Borgnine the, in this film. He's when, when, he's in a lot of roles. But this is one of my favorite favorite that I've seen of his. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah, and, and he it, was in Borgnine was in a lot of shit back in the seventies. I, I love that you get a joke in Escape from L.A. That, that, that is referenced from the first movie but I guess they didn't know it was coming that somebody in, in, in their writing staff decided to make Map to the Stars Eddie a character yes because in Escape from New, Escape from New York uh, Borgnine goes Snake Plissken in my cab wait till I tell Eddie <laughs> exactly. so they just they decide to make Eddie a character in that next film which is which is awesome which and it's is like Steve the, Buscemi it's like the most obscure reference you can think of it's like it's like that line in um in uh, the Twilight Zone, the movie, the one Landis directed, where <laughs> they, 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 they're in Nam and they go, we shouldn't have shot Lieutenant Niedermeyer. Now, if nobody saw Animal House, they wouldn't have noticed that joke exactly. at the very end of Animal House. <laughs> he was killed by his own troops. Yeah. Nobody would have forgot that reference if they didn't see that in the end of Animal House. So, you know, that, that, that little, little pearls like that really make me happy, you know. Yeah, they do, me too. And of course, Landis movies, I don't want to digress too much, but they're full of that. Yeah. You know? I mean, look for the See You Next Wednesday poster in every Landis film, and you'll find it. <clears throat> anyway, going going back to Snake, I, I, probably my favorite anti-hero ever, probably more so even than Clint Eastwood, this man with no name, just because I got into Westerns late in life, I was into... I was into B-movies and shit before I was into westerns. You know, you could show me the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'd be like, I don't know, man, is Pride of Reanimator on? So so, so to me, there's half of Kurt Russell's career. The bad guy who's really good, doesn't really shave a whole lot, uh, probably smells bad, but... We'll do something. We'll probably save your life if you need him to. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, if 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 it, if it benefited him, of course, because right, the, the whole subplot of this film is he has these little charges in his neck that are going to explode if he doesn't get out of New York in 24 hours, and pretty much anybody, anything that's in his way, any obstacle, whether it be friends, foe, or foul, or there's no there's no ducks in this film, but there should be maybe you know just. <laughs> Just he has fallen his way as well, or, or you know, king shit bad guys who you don't get much better than Isaac Hayes in this film. Shoo, man! If I knew how to put fucking Tiffany pets. lamps and chandeliers <laughs> on the front of our car, I would. Do That's it. class, man. I would do it in a heartbeat. Aren't they lit up too? Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. 
Cisco roll does feel like who's this asshole? Who's this white asshole at Cadillac with the chandelier on the front? You know, it's like you're about three streets over wrong, son. That could be a that could be a that could be a thing that comes back. You know. Oh, it could be. I, you know what? I'd be okay with that revival. <laughs> also, but, um, also, we were talking about Carpenter regulars being in this movie. Buck Flower is in this movie. Yes, he is. Of course, playing a bum. Yes, he's Again. in it for about 90 seconds, but he's one of the highlights of the film. I'm wearing this thing, so I must be the president. <laughs> I knew I was president when I woke up with this thing on my wrist. <laughs> oh... Pleasance is, uh, I don't know about Pleasance in this movie. You, you, you put a, they put a wig on him. He just looks like, I don't know, something like he should be a regular at Studio 54 or something. Just <laughs> that, that, that white wig they make him wear for, for no good reason. And I don't know what that was about either. Well, just to humiliate him. I, I guess. I think there may have been rape involved, though. I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Oh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, let's let's. They have the president, who for some reason is British, which I never really understood. That um, one of his one of his guards on Air Force One is uh, former President Gerald Ford's son, Stephen. And so he lands in New York. Yeah, they get him. They cut off his finger. They shoot at him, and they make him wear a Marilyn Monroe wig and lipstick. That means you mean business, though. If you got you got the. Um... Yeah, they, they cut a finger off. We don't. We learned it from Big Lebowski, of course. You know, right? You, you want a toe? I get you a toe. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I get you a finger. That can be anybody's finger. But uh, yeah, I, it's really weird that he he is British. Yes, being the president of these United States. But if we learn anything, if we learn anything from Demolition Man, that you know, Schwarzenegger can become president as well because they change laws and stuff, and you know, so maybe right. they change this law. Well, and we and we don't really understand a whole lot about the world that this takes place in. We know the crime rate has shot up, and we know there's an energy summit going on, because Van Cleef asked, do you anything about cold fusion? Fuck, I don't know anything about cold fusion. I guess that's nuclear ice? I don't know what that is. But it's obviously very important in this world that Carpenter's created, and I like that. I think the less that we know about it, the better off we are. If you start explaining too much about your future gone bad, you lose it for me. You know, just mm-hmm. just drop me in that universe and let me figure everything else out. I'll be fine. I'm smart enough to do it. <clears throat> the thing about this is, they, 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 oh God, the biggest problem I have with films like these is they set the the, the future way too early in the future. So the, <laughs> the the fact that the only thing that was in the briefcase was a cassette tape. You know, because they find this out that it's just a this plain cassette like you'd buy at Kmart or something that you know has this. Whatever you never find, never find out what's on it because, of course, Snake makes the switch. Yes. To to cabbies. Uh, <laughs> to the theme from American Bandstand. American Bandstand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you never you, you never find out what's on the damn tape, but the, the fact that it's not like some kind of like projection on the screen, like you know, to make it really futuristic is like you know, okay. But it's 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 a cassette tape like you would have bought in 1981 or 1980, you know, whatever this film right. was made. Well, I, I, and don't forget though, man, because you know what year does this movie take place in? 1997. 1997. <laughs> Which just makes me laugh because people were still using cassettes to some extent back then. So I just 
Yeah, I was like, oh shit, that's the year that none of this happened. Hmm. So yeah, you're right. They didn't set it far enough into the future. Yeah, films like this and uh, Free Jack, which is a gem that I love for some reason, with uh, Emilio Estevez and Mick Jagger in that movie. That That's set in 2009, but the film was made in 1992, so the fact that they had that whole spiritual switchboard they could pull folks' souls out of bodies and all this other technology mumbo-jumbo that doesn't happen. Yeah, we ain't, you know? we ain't there yet. We ain't there yet. <laughs> we're, just, it's, it's, we're just now figuring the, out broadband. I mean... So if there's anything absurd about this film, that that's that's uh, that's absurd. And they've done a lot worse. We just reviewed Lawnmower Man 2 on uh, Sloppy Seconds. Oh, Jesus gods. And that was like four years later, all of a sudden, like, L.A.'s like a real shithole. <laughs> and, and it's ran by technology, you know? Yeah, just uh, start, you, gotta, you gotta start looking like thousands of years ahead. Not just like 15 or 20. Oh, yeah, but the, the character that... It's very character of this film. Much, much, much more. It turned up to eleven in Escape from L.A., but they keep it a lot more simple in this one. Yeah, like for some reason, um, the Duke just lets Brain do his thing because the Brain knows how to make gasoline. Because mm-hmm. who else is gonna run the the Duke's Cadillac when he wants to go on his little parades and stuff? That's right. Make those lamps work. <laughs> make those lamps work, yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you need an extra battery in that bitch. <laughs> Yeah, an escape from L.A. is—it's not as good. You see, oh, <laughs> no. See, this is the problem I have with that movie. It's hard for me to choose which one I like more. Because really, the, 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 yeah, it's really hard for me because that that second one is just so out there and so campy and so extreme. I mean, you have him surfing with Peter Fonda on, on a, you know, a wave, you know, and, and on a tsunami, which is absurd, but it happens in that movie, you yeah. know. All of a sudden, Snake's got like a, a broken leg. He got shot in the leg or something. So he's got the use of one good leg, and he's like ripping the tubes with Peter Fonda. And you know, and he's playing. He has the ability to take this dive on the on the. Um, I forget the bad guys. He has like this Cadillac or something that mapped to the stars that he is driving. Right. He makes this dive and he magically lands on lands on his car with the strength of one leg. You know. And he also plays basketball really well, which we apparently people in New York don't play basketball because if we're looking at, at those two movies as kind of a let's compare the bicoastal cultures, <laughs> I guess the Knicks suck. I don't know, do they? Well, he is white, and nobody was defending him. Just to be fair, okay? <laughs> That's true. Nobody was after him. Oh, a, a white guy could, could could do the basketball thing really well, and nobody's defending him. Yes, especially a not a seven foot tall guy who's. Anyway, Wait, which I don't is, watch sports ball, so I don't know these things. <laughs> which is why the, the 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 white man invented the three point shot to give the white boys a chance. See, it's just that's all I'm saying, you know. Right, right. <laughs> oh boy, back to this movie though. Yes. Yeah, Harry, Harry Dean Stanton though. He's um he's, he's great in stuff. I, I I have no problem. He's with great in stuff. He's good in stuff. <laughs> he, he's pretty good in this movie too. But he is kind of a he is kind of snakes bitch. Like, as soon as he, him and Snake come on screen together, actually. Well, yeah, but, I mean, they had prior history, so of course. And, uh, yeah, he just, like, does whatever he tells them, when it, when it comes, even when it comes down to, you know, let's get out of here, that kind of deal. And, of course, Brain, I guess by trial and error, knows where all the mines are on this bridge. Yes, you know? he's, <laughs> he's been mapping them. Yes. I mean, fuck, you, you gotta have hobbies when you're in prison, so I guess one of them is, you know, learning how to... 
make petrochemicals. One of them is learning where all the mines are on the bridge. I don't know. I know a lot of weird shit that I shouldn't know, too, so I guess that makes sense to me. I never even thought to question that. Of course Brain knows where the mines are. Uh, <laughs> said Jug course, right! Of course, you get the luscious Adrian Barbeau. The, the titties are holding up real nice oh, in this film. Man. And, of course, Carpenter was still married to her at that time. Oh, yeah. So, and I remember reading in Fangoria when this movie came out that she said that she wanted to have the bloodiest death in the whole film. I think she uh, does. Uh, yeah, I think she does, yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if, if you don't count the Duke. Okay, well, I don't, I don't know, but even that, there's not a whole lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of, no. there's a lot of bullets flying, but... Yeah, I don't know, because, yeah, I don't think how good, the, how good a shot the president is. <laughs> if you haven't seen Escape from New York, we're spoiling the hell out of it, okay? If you haven't seen Escape from New York, what the fuck, dude? Because it's... What, 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 how was this movie? How do, I, how do I describe this other than this? When Donald Pleasance goes full Donald Pleasance, and he goes over the wall, and he gets his hand on an automatic rifle, the, the, the Duke is done for. And, yes. you know, he starts the, the screaming and the, the scream cry thing, you know, and... <laughs> Because I guess he took the the, the the man the manhood of the Duke one too many times, so you know. Because I'm, yeah. I'm guessing that's what the Duke makes the girls the girls or, or, or dudes say when they, when he's getting down, that he's a number one. You know. Oh, yeah. And, Hell yeah. <laughs> it's because <laughs> there's not there's not many chicks inside of New York to to inhabit. So you know, if you get that one chick for sure, I think there's a lot more to escape from L.A. So maybe they they dropped them dropped them all into L.A. All the ladies, you know. <laughs> You're right though. He he does go full Loomis. He just <laughs> he does. I oh, shot fuck. him. I shot him six I shot times. Him six times. I fired off sixty-seven rounds. <laughs> hey, give me another banana clip. Oh. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think I've bought it like six times, um, <laughs> on different formats. So. Yeah, I've, I I know I'm double dipping right now. I've got the old MGM um, DVD shitty release, and then I've got another Blu-ray release. So and I think in the Scream Factory bringing it out this year too. Yes, it's coming. Remember it's real coming. soon. Uh, it's April. April. I'll be triple dipping because I need that movie. Definitely, yeah. But uh, as far as this one goes, I we talk all about it all the time, you know. But you see, you see a lot of the the regulars like you do. In the Carpenter camp, as we described before, uh, even to a small extent, you know, I think that the the scene, you know, the one scene you get with uh, Tom Atkins and Lee Van Cleef is probably a, a, a pair of the finest mustaches you're ever going to see ever on, on, on the same screen. Yes, I'm surprised it doesn't. The screen doesn't explode. Just a, just in hair. Just in hair. <laughs> just puffs out. <laughs> And women just fall out of their chairs because of the macho-ness of the whole thing. If you you had Tom Selleck in there, by the way, I see it was your birthday today. I had birthday Tom Selleck, you know, so, you know, <laughs> 70 years young. If you had that mustache in there, it, it, it might it might burn the film, you know, where we're sits. Exactly. <laughs> we would never. It'd be like, like that, that scene in the original King Kong that they had to cut because it just stopped the whole movie. And just be like, that's too much mustache. We can't cannot handle the stash <laughs> oh boy but with that we'll do ratings I guess uh, ratings for Escape from New York is kind of a no brain question but what do you give it my friend I shit dude that's a 10 for me <laughs> just 
I know it by heart. I've seen it so many times that it just it it never fails to make me happy. So I can't not give it a ten. Uh, it's a ten for me as well. You know, it's 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 kind of a perfect film. You know, for for the the genre that it's in. Yeah. Like I got to read in the genre that it's in. You know, it's 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 not the Godfather or anything. You know, but for for the, for these these kind of films, it's 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 like the perfect. They did everything right. So ten out of ten. Yeah, and it really doesn't have to be the Godfather either. I'm gl- I'm kind of glad it's not. So oh, no, I'm not saying it should be. You know. Yeah. <laughs> But as far as just how do you make a low-budget action exploitation movie, boom, here is your blueprint. <laughs> Keep it simple, have memorable characters, and have fun with it. Exactly. But uh, with that, we'll, uh, I'm not even going to say lower the bar, because we're going to go with the Overboard next, which is a film I enjoy, so we'll get into that right after this. <laughs> Thank you. 
Mrs. Grant Staten III. Grant, I'm on the phone! Always knew what she wanted. I'm not paying for your mistake. And she always got it. You haven't got a single thing on this earth to do except for your hair. She had power. Taste. What is this gelatinous muck? Style. Are you going to bring me my lemon or do I have to squeeze it from my hat? And... Amnesia. Seems a mystery woman was picked up by the Elk Cove garbage cow shortly after midnight. Excuse me, miss. Can you tell me your name? Of course I know my name. It's... Annie! This missing link person is not my husband. Welcome home, baby! Whoa! Hey, look who's home! Hi, Mom! River! What is it I normally do? Goldie Horn. Kurt Russell. Overboard. Overboard. Uh, 6.7 on your INDB scale. Plot synopsis is this. A cruel but beautiful heiress screws over a hired carpenter who later is the one to find her when she gets amnesia. Well, that's kind of off. Looking for a little <laughs> revenge, he convinces her that she, she's his wife. Uh, your core uh, cast in this film is Goldie Hawn. Uh, Kurt Russell, of course. Uh, Edward Herman, R.I.P. Uh, sir, yes. Uh, Catherine Hellman, who is the boss? Yeah, buddy. Uh, Mike Haggerty, who I've seen in a lot of things, but I really couldn't tell you which who I've seen when I've seen him in. He plays his buddy in that film. Uh, Roddy McDowell, and uh, a cast of other people too. McDowell also produced it. I oh, did. Okay, yeah. cool. Or was a, yeah, he was a producer of it. I'm sure. <clears throat> I have uh, a theory about this movie that is probably upsetting, but it's true in my head <laughs> lay it on me kurt russell's character dean prophet is the worst villain we have seen in years and we didn't even realize it it's okay explain that <laughs> son of a bitch that gaslighting kidnapping bastard if it had been anybody besides kurt Ru- put sam jackson in that part 
and he's a villain. He's immediately a villain. He kidnaps the woman and makes her take care of his kids, tells her all kinds of lies about his past and her past, never really apologizes for it. Um, he's just, he, I think he's a black-hearted son of a bitch. That's what I think. He convinces her that she's short, fat, and a slut. So, you yes. know, like, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, I was so really... Which was how I was going to introduce myself to this show, but I, I forgot all about that. <laughs> My name is Gary Hill. I'm short, fat, and a slut. <laughs> so when people look at this movie and say, oh, Overboard's a romantic comedy, I'm like, all right, I see your point. You know what else it is? It is a horrifying drama of the Helsinki Syndrome or the it, Stockholm it, Syndrome, whatever the fuck it is. I've yeah, been it, watching it takes Die Hard like, too much. It takes that churn like like, like that half, about halfway through, though, or it turns into that romantic comedy they're talking about. But for like the first fifty, for like the first like part of that film, you know, before he starts to feel remorse for what he's done, he's just this guy looking for revenge on this rich bitch sun tanning whore, you know, who screwed him out of some money because he built this closet out of the wrong wood, apparently. Right, and then throws his tools into the ocean. Oh boy, <laughs> tools are expensive, but I'd be upset. I too. know, I would be pissed. <laughs> but it also makes me wonder, where did he get these kids? Well, he, he had a wife. And she she died three years ago, apparently. That's what he says. So he says, yes. <laughs> How am I supposed to believe anything this character says? I can't. I can't build up any empathy for him. Oh, is your wife is your wife dead? Really? Is she in that refrigerator that's on the back porch? Is that where she is? Son of a bitch. <laughs> in case you guys didn't know what Overboard is, it's it's a film. It's a film about a. About a rich heiress who whose yacht breaks down, and I guess in the middle of I forget what they, they she calls it Elk Snout, but I forget what the name of the damn town is. You know, it's Elk something like Elk Hood or Jesus, that doesn't make any sense either. Fuck Elkville. <laughs> Elk, Elkville. So she gets bored, so she wants to spend some money, so she's gonna redecorate this yacht with new with new closets for all of her shit. So she she hires Dean to to build these closets, and apparently Dean is a master craftsman and master artist. Apparently, with a chainsaw, because he's like created like the thinker out of wood with a chainsaw. And you know, there's a whole beginning scene where he he gets this job, and you see all the sculptures that he made, which are quite beautiful if they're made with a chainsaw. And by him, for that matter, you know. Yeah. And uh. <laughs> So he gets there, and of course she's showing off her ass. Any every any chance she gets to this this hired help, and which which I'm fine with, you know, just whatever. But uh, <laughs> and uh, he, he builds this, this closet, which is quite a genius. Cause you, you don't think this this dumbass would be able to come up with this 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 scrolling thing where her shoes would come out and rotate and all this crap? But she is upset, so she's not going to pay him, and she throws him and his tools into the ocean. So when she uh, hilariously falls in the ocean drunk, dropping her wedding ring, she she wakes up on a garbage trawl with amnesia. <laughs> it's Elk Cove, by the way. Elk, it's Elk Cove. Cove, Oregon. Because Elkhart, the- Indiana is landlocked, so they, <laughs> they couldn't go there. <clears throat> so the creepiness that X is speaking of, you know, he decides to get revenge... Well, they, they put her on TV. They put her on TV. They're all like, there's a missing woman here in Elk Cove to do, do, even though we're in Oregon and we don't really talk like this. Um, 
But he goes in there, and the way that he convinces her to come home with him is he describes a birthmark to her attending physician. And it's a birthmark that he saw while she was wearing her swimsuit. It's on her ass. So that convinces her and the doctor, and they just they just send her home with this guy. And the thing well, that freaks me out about that is, don't these people in town think he's a little bit off anyway? The guy with the three kids and the, quote, dead wife, end quote? I mean, bullshit. It's like, <laughs> it's like sending him, we're going to send her home with this nice Dahmer fella. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but, uh, the, the, the whole thing about that is, which I thought it was hilarious, because was it the cop or the guy at the hospital? It was played by Ray Combs. Oh, it's the who, guy at the hospital. Yes. Who who hosted the feud when I was younger, you know? So I, I think all, all my great, all my some of my great 80s characters go back to the feud. Then Oliver Richard Dawson and the Running Men, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I thought that was hilarious. I had to look at the credits. Is that fucking Ray Combs, you know? The, the... That's exactly what I did. That's exactly Ray Combs? Because I, I was an avid game show watcher back in those days. I blame my grandmother for that. And um, I watched a lot of the feud. I still watch a lot of the feud for some reason. It's it's a good cast. It's one of those it's one of those movies where the bit players really make the whole movie work because <clears throat> they'll come in for thirty seconds, forty five seconds, do something really funny or really charming, and you're like, okay, now I, I I kind of buy this town. I kind of buy the people that are here in the town. But um, I don't know. I just think that as far as this character goes, and I know it's supposed to be funny, and there are times when it is funny, but he calls her names for, like, the entire first hour, and what, didn't she wear, like, a curtain at some point? I don't mean, like, a Scarlet O'Hara, we're gonna make dresses out of the drapes. I mean, just, like, it's a slipcover. She's wearing a slipcover, and she's, it's just horrible. He's just, something. Something about it is just so... I, I know what it is. I know what it is. I Go think it's it. the idea that you can take another human being and mold her into what you want her to be by making sure that she never knows the truth about anything while you are establishing your relationship with her. To be fair, her her, her clothes got not, not like more better. I can't see, keep seeing better and better. But they fit her better and better throughout the film. Because <laughs> when they first said they he first sends Billy and the kids to the Salvation Army to get some clothes for their non mother, they get her all these clothes that don't fit her, which gives her the the line she was short and fat thing, you know, and, and all that stuff. And she uh, I mean, she gets clothes that fit her better too. I guess the more and more he likes her, the more and more her clothes fit her better. Well, he is working that second job. I mean. You know, I guess maybe he can afford to buy her some nicer jeans as things go on. Also, another thing weird about Dean, and I know I'm going off about this, but this is my entire point. I'm going to bring go it around it, here in a minute. His entire dream, his big life's dream, is to build a miniature golf course. It's It's weird, you know, but I, it I don't know. It is weird because there's like only 15 people in town. You figure they all play the course once through, maybe once every four months. They close in the winter. You you cannot make any money that way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's a little strange. Even you see miniature golf courses now; they're usually attached to some kind of like 
video game, you know, prize game emporium that yeah. are next, next to it. Go-karts and whatever <laughs> else. So this guy, in my mind, he's setting himself up for a Fargo situation. Yeah. <laughs> I need that 500 grand, Jerry. I need it real bad, you know. <clears throat> Gotta get the undercoating, you know. Come on now. That's right. You lied to my face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! So anyway, that's my entire that's my entire theory about about Dean Prophet. And in fact, the his brainwashing of of Goldie Hawn works so well that at the end, when her real husband comes back and gets her and takes her back on the yacht, and she realizes, you know, okay, I'm rich and this is my life, she goes back. Well, it's just one of those things, one of those morality tales, really. You know, for her. Which, you know, Kurt Russell's creepiness actually helped her as a person, I guess. You know? Because she realizes she's been this real bitch. She, she, even, she even apologized to Ronnie, the Ronnie McDowell character, you know, and then the point of that movie, you know, and he, every, everything's just fine and dandy now between those two. And some of my favorite scenes in the whole film is when Catherine Hellman, the, who's the boss fame, is uh, Mona. I love Mona. You know, for some reason, you know. And, uh, she, she she would like call the the Edward Herman character who is her husband, and he's just having a good time on this yacht, he's wifeless not... but happy. You know, <laughs> he's got naked chicks. He's drinking just... pina coladas. He's got like eight women in his bed at the same time. Just hot and cold running bitches while yep, while yep. his his wifey is uh, not knowing who she is or where she is. You know. Oh, I I love that guy. I've seen him in a bunch of things and. I got to meet him in person gladly before he passed away. Oh, did you? That's awesome. And he wanted to talk about the dumbest things with me, like overboard and my boyfriend's back and shit like that. I was like, that's that's very cool of you. Because <laughs> those are stupid things that I love, you know, that you were in, you know. And I, I told him the, the joke about I made fun of my sister constantly because she would watch the Gilmore Girls. And he was on the Gilmore Girls. I was like, every time he'd pop on screen, I'd say, I didn't invite you this time, Max. And he would drive her crazy. And... <laughs> See, that's what I would do. If I met famous people, I would say, I want to talk about the worst shit that you ever made in your life because they, they I like it. They appreciate that. Keith, Keith, they, uh, Keith David loves talking about men at work, loves talking about it. Oh, my God. I love that movie. I, I talked about it with him. My buddy talked about it with him. You know? That's funny. Loves talking about that fucking movie. You know? So the dumbest things could be make an actor happy, and I, I'm glad I got to meet him, talk to him about stupid stuff like men at work. I mean, like like uh, my boyfriend's back in this film, you know. That's great. But um, yeah, that that character makes you laugh because he's just he's such a shit. He's probably the biggest shithead of this whole film, he, he, even over Dean Prophet, you know. Just because <laughs> if anything, there, there's that whole scene where he goes to go, he knows who she is, he goes to go collect her, I guess, and then. He, he hears her bitching and yelling like a rich bitch does, obviously, you know. And he's like, because, oh, you know what? I'm going to go spend her money in it and go have a nice little vacation from this blonde cunt who yells all the time, you know. Exactly. And <laughs> what would you do? I would do the same thing. <laughs> is she is she being taken care of to a certain extent? Because, fuck, my brain, I need to get away from this horrible person. I'm too much of a pussy to divorce her because... Oh, and of course, here's the catch. All the money is hers. Yep. And I think, in a lot of ways, that's the final cap on my case for Dean Prophet as a bastard. 
was well, last his last day of his profit after all. Indeed, you know? indeed, and that's precisely what he does. He gets her, and he gets the money. And what you don't see is two years later when they find her body in a ravine somewhere <laughs> in Elk Cove, Oregon. <laughs> They'll never find her here. That's right. <laughs> Drag the swamp. She's underneath hole 18 of the putt-putt course. <laughs> Let's go to hole 19 and have a beer, you know. Exactly. And toast, and toast to the, 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 dead, the dead wicked witch of the blonde, and, you know. No, but she was so goddamn wholesome towards the end of this film, I can't talk too much shit about her because it says a real morality tale for her. Like she's been acting wrong all these years. She finally realized it took amnesia. And her getting swindled by this carpenter, this sweaty carpenter and his, his rotten kids, you know, who get better and better as the film goes on. But those are some real, sh- these are the, these are the shithead kids you want to see in the 80s film. Yeah, yeah, the kids are perfect. The kids are absolutely on point. I don't know, man, there's just something about the way he does this thing to her, his whole plot, where it's just like a, it's like personality annihilation. Like, what if she's supposed to be a bitch? What if that's like her entire purpose on this planet is just to be a raging cunt and he stops it? I think what one 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 positive about this film, I guess, in in the, the parenting style, and in a weird way, because a lot of these these films, not the especially around this time, were doing the whole play, especially in family films, where they were they were either divorced parents or they were on the verge of getting divorced. You know, uh. the fact that you know you had a. a a caring mother, whether she knew that they were there, that she was her mother or not, you know, and I guess a absentee father because I guess he was working all the time, right? Making his art projects and, and shoveling shit for a living, you know, and <laughs> <That's right. laughs> designing Mount Rushmore for his putt putt course. It, it looked really cool when it was all done, though. I gotta say, you know. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. It did look cool, and you know, and here's the thing: I have to say this, and I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't hate this movie i I really just think that dean prophet is a complete fucking bastard (laughs) yeah i understand man you know and uh yeah it doesn't surprisingly enough though it doesn't deter me from not from not loving this film though for some reason and i i understand everything you say is true (laughs) (laughs) to to me this is like the only lifetime movie i would ever watch (laughs) and we have it on blue (laughs) There you go. They ain't nothing wrong with that, man. Love it. I you love gotta, it. You gotta hear that Randy Newman song in full stereo, you know. Oh, Jesus, gods. <laughs> no, but like some of my favorite scenes in the whole film <coughs> are, are, are where the kids are fucking with her. Or, or the scene where she has to do the chores for the first time. Yeah, and that's she good. Uses the, she uses the chainsaw, you know. And the, the old ringer washer, with my, which my Uncle Roy used for years and years and years. The, the goddamn ringer washer. It worked. He knew how to fix it, so he used that motherfucker, you know. That's funny, because that's one of my favorite parts, is when she's trying to remember the kids' names, and she looks at the one and just goes, Roy? <laughs> and then he pops his head out, like, what are you guys doing up there? Stop me, it's Roy, Dad! You know. <laughs> and it is a cool house, how they have that little part up on the wall where the kids can just pop through like it's fucking laughing, you know? <laughs> Like a window inside the house. That's hilarious. The little kid that talks like Pee Wee Herman for no good reason. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, who's going to get this in 50 years? Who's going to be, oh, he's making a reference to Paula Rubens. No, he's going to be like, this kid's obviously got some social anxiety problems. 
the, the one kid who's way too young to have a masturbatory problem, but he's just <laughs> whacking in the bathroom apparently constantly because she can't keep those magazines out of the bathroom. <laughs> and, <laughs> where he gets these smut magazines, I have no idea. He but, gets uh, them from Dean. <laughs> tell no, the, they're like no kids that have problems in this building. They're all like, except for you know the fact that they had this absentee mother who's died three years ago, supposedly. If Dean didn't kill her too, you know, and uh, they're just cool. They just want a mom, and you know that that, that part of the film really gets me too. Or he, he, Dean, finally has the the, the the error in his ways, and he finally wants to tell her the truth, but the kids won't let her because they like having this mom around, and right. you know, don't ruin a dad, that kind of deal. <laughs> So who's who's more guilty here? The, the the kids for making him feel guilty about gonna want to tell her the truth or, or Dean when he finally feels that that urge to tell her the truth. How do you expect his children to act? They're gonna act like him. No, keep this good thing going here. It's a criminal mind, Gary. It's a criminal mind. It's it's a slippery slope, dude, I gotta say. <laughs> it's definitely a slippery slope. Because I don't know what, what what to think here. You know, is is he doing the right thing? Is he doing the wrong thing for these kids? So that's right. There's no way cre- creepiness and stalking and kidnapping aside. You know, you got to think of you know <laughs> the big the the big picture. I guess. You Won't know. someone think of the children? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah. That that's that's not, I can't say much else about this film, but it's it's, it's a good watch. It it still holds up today. You know. There are some extremely funny bits. The music is terrible, but the rest of it still holds what up the, pretty that, well. That that twang slash synth music uh, in the movie, yes, has oh. played throughout. We <laughs> used the fanciest Casio we could find. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <sighs> yeah, they had a slide guitar to that shit. You're all set, see. <laughs> it's like a robot version of CCR. <laughs> they had a what do you call it a. Oh, just had his name in my head too. The the blind guitarist from Roadhouse. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I just had his name in my head too. But I had him on the case, you know. Oh man, I don't remember. But he is he is a brilliant musician, and you know, Jeff Healy. Jeff Healy is a great musician. That's I, it. I, I can't put Jeff Healy in the in the the soundtrack to this movie because when he lived, he was a great musician. Yes. So. <laughs> oh man. Oh. But I guess uh, anything else you want to say about Overboard, sir? <laughs> no. Hopefully, I hopefully I haven't ruined it for anybody, or have I? Maybe I've done the right thing. <laughs> dum dum dum. Yeah. Uh, said my piece on it now, so we'll do ratings now. Rate it. Rate X, it. Uh, my rating for Overboard is a seven and a half, and I'm going to give it that because it's this it's it's great nostalgia that holds up today. And I, I, I still watch it. The, 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 the unfortunate part, and I, I wasn't even saying unfortunate, because these first two films we're discussing, I watch a lot because they show them a lot. Captain Ron, not so much. They don't, they don't show that so much, so I don't watch it as much. So, but uh, it's still yeah. watch day, and, and, and it's, it's, I'm glad that it has such staying power, even you know, what like twenty plus years later, you know. Yeah, it's really, it's really gained an audience. <clears throat> it really, well, it's, it's, it's really a film that you can show, you know, you're, you're your 12 year old kid and they might laugh at it you know so yeah yeah i mean it's a family film that doesn't really doesn't really insult your intelligence depending on which viewpoint you have of it you know if you think it's funny like most people do then yeah let anybody watch it if you think it's a (laughs) 
if you think it's a horrible psychological thriller like I do, then I'd still give it a six and a half. <clears throat> um, and I give it the half just for, you know, Goldie Hawn's ass. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's, it held up pretty nice back in them days. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know how it's looking now, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> We'll always have the pictures, Gary. So- sock it to me, Goldie. You were good looking. Oh yes. Although I liked you better on laughing, you know. So you know that's because you were young and you you like little kind of like a painted up hippie, you know. I'm fine with that, you know. Yeah, I'm good with the body paint. That's all right. <laughs> if that's what you're into, but um, yeah. Right after this, we'll shoot right into our third feature, which is Captain Run. Captain Run. Right after this. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss, kiss the, the goat. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie I was just like, let's get, get this thing going. Fuck this movie. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the shin list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby, The Toxic Avenger, The New Favorites, Absentia, Cabin in the Woods, The Loved Ones, Shadow of Death, VHS, The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. Uncharted Islands. Who knows what's waiting for us out there? The mighty Caribbean, home of romance, adventure, and living legends like Captain Ron. Let's hear the Harvey Bug. A man of courage and dedication, to whom the sea is more than a job, more than a calling. It's home. Are you kidding? Now, he's about to cast his very special spell on the Harveys. Sucks. I have worked very, very hard to plan a spontaneous adventure and Captain Goofy, hey boss, Captain Cyclops, Captain's contagious over there, is screwing it up. You know there's gorillas in these woods. No gorillas, not here, no way. 
He said gorilla, not gorilla. Huge difference. Whoa, Dad's losing it. Captain Ron, Captain Ron. May I have the camera, please? Captain Ron doesn't mean a Ooh. thing to me. I am not jealous. <laughs> Captain Ron is teaching them the laws of the sea. Hey, get your hands off that. You want a beer, you get your own beer. Taking them to places they never dreamed of. Barton, we're in Cuba? Back to the raft! Back to the raft! And he's turning these four sailors into one big happy family. I've never seen such sailors, not in all my born days, I ain't. Every one of you is naturals. The Pirates of the Caribbean! What pirates? Kurt Russell. Pirates of the Caribbean. Martin Short. Been to Disney World one too many times, have we, Captain Ron? Captain Ron. Run from 1992. Can't run. Can't run. Uh, 5.6 on scale. Uh, plot synopsis is this. A family in Chicago inherits the yacht, formerly owned by Clark Gable, a small plot point in this film. They decide to sail it from the island of St. Palm de Terre. Why does it even fucking matter, man? To Miami. <laughs> and, and they sail with the assistance of Captain Ron, and their lives will never be the same again. Oh, it's so funny. All right, what's your take on Captain Ron, sir? Did you ever wonder what was behind Snake Fliskin's eye patch? Uh, another eye? <laughs> Watch Captain Ron, and you'll yeah. find out. Again, to me, Captain Ron is the perfect pairing of Snake Plissken and Dean Prophet, because you've got that weird kind of sneaky, smarmy persona that Dean Prophet had, while still kind of the badass criminal mastermind that Snake Plissken is, even though the movie's pretty much nonsense. Oh, it is. It's pretty much nonsense, you know. I mean, Martin Short plays a conservative guy, and I don't know, I guess he's supposed to be like a conservative Republican, even though he hates guns, which I can't figure that out. Very confused by that. Um, And this, you know, here's conservative guy meets the free-spirited guy, and the free-spirited guy has an effect on his whole family and they learn how to have fun and love and live and be free and then Captain Ron just disappears out of their life and wasn't this every movie in the late 80s to the mid 90s I mean isn't this what about Bob I mean it's the same oh this is this is what about Bob I mean Martin Short is Richard Dreyfuss in this movie you know except except in what about Bob Bill Murray plays a a a stuffy you know anal retentive freak who's scared of everything <laughs> where in this movie Kent and Ron is not afraid of anything apparently but he just talks a lot of shit yeah like he says he's piloted the USS Saratoga which was great and then we learn later that he does not know how to navigate a boat no <laughs> so this movie just takes a lot of really weird turns and twists like we end up I can think of three movies since 1970 where a major plot point has been we end up in Cuba one of those was the Godfather Part 2 and the other one was Bad Boys 2 and that's weird company to put Captain Ron in (laughs) (laughs) because you really wouldn't watch those three together Um, Russell's really good in this movie this is one of those characters he was born to play because he's already played them both Um, he's got a fake eye behind his eye patch, and he's 
in some ways he's a mystical figure. Like, you know how at the end of Escape from L.A., Snake just disappears? Yeah. You know, he, he throws up the hologram, and then he's, Welcome to the human race. And he just disappears and just fades off. Captain Ron kind of does the same thing at the end of this movie, but I don't know, I guess... <laughs> fuck, sorry, ruin that shit. I didn't mean to. Oh, no, I got, I, got, I, got, I got a theory about Captain Ron in this movie. Oh, because you, you do know, it. do it. I, I, th- I think Captain Ron is like a guardian angel because he, he, he like shows up like out of nowhere because they find out that the, the, the investors find out this boat is pretty much fucking worthless because it hasn't been submerged in like 40 years or something. And so it's like all dusty and crappy looking, not looking nice like it should be. It hasn't been kept up at all. So they decided to send a local supposedly out to go help them get it back to, to, to Miami, you know? So at the end of this movie, remember this now, these rich fucks get this speedboat or something and Captain Ron is all cleaned up now. He's got like a yuppie, you know, Don Johnson suit on, you know, and he's ready to rock and roll. This this whole different looking guy. So I think that he either gets dressed up in different. I don't see Captain Ron spending a lot of money on these clothes. He sees like one of those real drifters that just hangs around the island and waits, waits for these random jobs to come up. Just waits until somebody dies. But if, Cap- <laughs> if Captain Ron is like, you know, maybe like a Dr. Sam Beckett of the future, you know, and just goes to different places that he's needed, you know, maybe he inhabits these different personalities. Like now he's, he's yuppie, Captain Ron. He's going to go help these, these white folks use a speedboat now, and he's going to take them on a grand adventure now. Maybe he's there to take them on these grand adventures and nothing else. Where they learn he's limited, whatever, you know, you, you take an uptight person. Which this guy seemed like pretty uptight, too, at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. And turn him into a, a fun-loving guy, you know. Okay, now, okay, now. So, well, he, well, he, so he is the Clarence of the 1990s, see? So you are... <laughs> that's awesome. So you are putting Captain Ron in the same kind of lineup as, like, Angels in the Outfield. Or... Oh, um, it, there were so many of them, yeah. Yeah, Angel, Angels... Fucking angels everywhere, Jesus. <clears throat> um, that's fascinating. So that explains how he got to Cuba. So they... Captain Ron can, can go through time and space. He's not real, so you know he can do anything he wants to, really, basically. Wow, so this is the Highway to Heaven movie we never got. So if that boat crashes, and like it was going to during that hurricane, Captain Ron's going to be fine. You know? <laughs> Martin Short's dead, Mary Kay Place is dead, the kids are dead. He's cool, though. He's going to go... He's walking on the water just going, I should have a new assignment soon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Ziggy, how long do I have to wear this eye patch? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Well, yeah, Captain Rod, that's that's, that's my take on Captain Rod. Not the whole film, but the Captain Rod character as a whole. (laughs) That's fantastic. That changes my entire viewpoint, and that fucks up my theory, but it changes the (laughs) entire viewpoint. I like that. I like that, that he just shows up to teach people how to have a good time. Have a good time all the time. That's my philosophy, Marty. Um, I think out of the three, this is the lesser of the films. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I still think there's some weird, questionable behavior. We were talking about the kids in Overboard, and one of the things that makes them excellent is that they're believable. You can see kids just fucking around and doing stupid shit like they do. I can't see a kid, like in Captain Ron, who sits around and drinks beer and gets a temporary tattoo of an eagle on his chest, 
while his parents are somewhere else on the island. Well, this one, you, you can tell that, you know, you got this real uptight dude. We'll play by Martin Short, but uh, D- Dean Proppitt is this absentee dad. You know, but these, this kid, that this son, who I guess never had a role model except for Martin Short, sees Captain Ron as, like, this cool uncle that you'd want to hang out with. Like, so that, you, that you'd almost want to emulate. So the fact that he got his Stink Plissken tattoo on his chest, you know... <laughs> And he got—he's having a beer with with good old Captain Ron, who he still owes him two fifty for because you know they're playing Monopoly for money. Yeah, and he keeps know? the kids' money. <laughs> keeps, which I guess that's a life lesson. But at the same time, I don't know. Would an angel do that? <laughs> you can't be a winner every time. That's all I'm saying, man. You know, <laughs> this is how you play high stakes uh, Texas Hold'em. Oh my God, that's funny. Now, now, now put your arm on the table, Jerry. You got to take a finger because you, you ran out of money. You know. That's right. Trying to light this lighter ten times. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Oh boy! Yeah, Captain Ron is not a role model, but you know he, he just seems like, the, like I said, that that fun uncle that you know is much cooler than dead that uptight dad is. You know, so yeah. the kid look, look up to him for that reason. I guess you know, once he met him, he's this like, real cool guy with an eye patch on. He says he's been all these places, and how exciting is that? And you know, so I guess if I was like ten, twelve years old, I think Captain Ron was a pretty cool guy too. Yeah, yeah, I guess I would have too. But on the other, the other hand, you got the 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 slut daughter, you know, who's get, got engaged to Captain Metalhead apparently at the beginning of this film, <laughs> and that was their inspiration to go on this trip. <laughs> she hasn't said a word about being engaged since we've left. <laughs> exactly. It's like she forgot all about the Snake back home, or whatever his name is. Or, but I got it. But I got a tattoo on my cooter. Sure did. <laughs> Skid Mark, whatever the guy's <laughs> name is. Name is name a grimy name, put it there, you know. But by the way, best tattoo I've seen in like ten years in a film is in where the Millers, where the girl has a tattoo above her right right, right under her belly button that says Boner Garage, put the arrow pointing down. Oh my that's god. Probably, that's funny. <laughs> one of the best tattoos I've seen in years. That's awesome. Boner. But uh this this girl I doubt has a boner garage tattoo, but she just seems a little too free spirited for like a fifteen year old girl, like, like the parents should not be letting her get away with this stuff. Because I, I, they're too busy to be looking around at this. Because mom's like a, I guess she's like an interior designer or a realtor. They really don't yeah, say something like that. She does some kind of like cushy job like that too, where she's busy all the time and dad's busy all the time. So apparently, it gives her free will to go fuck punks on the street somewhere, you know, and get engaged. Oh, this was and, uh, what? What do we say? Ninety two. 92, yeah. 92? Okay. Interesting to me that the director of this movie, Tom Eberhardt, also directed Night of the Comet, which is, of course, one of the great 80s movies ever. And it's almost like he's trying to bring that same kind of aesthetic into a new decade, and it doesn't really work. I mean, think about Kelly Maroney in Night of the Comet. She was a bit of a slut. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if she had any tattoos, but she was... Um, she was like that slut that didn't get anywhere, though. You know, because c- clearly Captain Mary Stewart was would bang anybody in a projection booth, you know. Right. <laughs> <sighs> it's just as long as they don't mess with their high score on the video game, of course, you know. Then all bets are off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know what? No blowjob for you. See you, see you later, you know. You fucked up my scores. But it was almost like back... There was like this run of time where they put out a bunch of scripts that were practically 
the same template and just changed a few things around. And it was like, let's see which guy from either SCTV or SNL we can get into this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was a trope, you know, especially this time around. You know, when we, I mentioned divorce earlier, either divorced or uh, are, are on the brink of divorce. Parents are yeah. too busy for their kids' parents. I don't who, know how to have a family. I work too hard. Yeah, I work too much. I'm, I'm too cushy to do, do anything but go to my job and come home and eat dinner and ho-ho-hum. Let's go on this grand adventure that puts you way out of my wheelhouse and see what happens, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess, can we blame uh, National Lampoon's Vacation for that? No, you could blame Summer Rental for this film, but Summer Rental did See, it better. Uh, there you go, I was thinking Summer Rental. I was thinking the whole time I was watching this, oh, it's Summer Rental, okay. Summer Rental did it better, though. Yes. Uh, yeah, but this Hell, film... The Great Outdoors did it better. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's John Candy, though, who's, who is a comedic <laughs> actor. Kurt Russell is just a guy I find funny, and Martin Short is a guy I find funny, too, but not... Not in the classical sense of funny, right? Like I'll I'll, I'll laugh at his quirkiness. Like I love I love I just, whenever Three Amigos comes on, I still watch it every time it comes on. Well, oh, yeah. So little old lady, so 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 like the wind, so you know. Like the wind. <laughs> little stupid stuff like that. A little nutty new Newlander, whatever his name was, and the fact that you know he wasn't he wasn't a potter. He knows how to shoot for real and. That little, little, those little quirks that come out in that film, you know, and anything he does. I never was the biggest Ed Grimley guy, though. I thought that was kind of stupid, in my opinion. Now, I never liked Ed Grimley that much, but Jesus, I've seen Three Amigos more times than I can count. <clears throat> Absolutely. In, in, Inner Space is insane. I still love that movie, you mm-hmm. know? That Joe Dante joint, you know? <laughs> There's not a Dante movie I don't like, so, yeah, I'm all over that. Yeah, Martin Short was interesting. His movie career kind of it's like it almost took off and then he started doing all that Jiminy Glick stuff oh that's awful yeah so never quite understood the attachment to that character but you know there's always that that, that again it goes with the trope of films like these where they're a stranger in a strange land they get mixed up with these rebels which I guess they're kind of like where you, where you can get your, your uh, Escape from New York reference that I guess you know yeah were, were, were they they were anti-Castro rebels that they found on an island because Martin Short strayed off of the path and Captain Rod said, don't stray off the path, there'll be gorillas and Martin Short thinks he means apes but no, he means gorillas like fucking revolutionaries hiding in the jungle. That's such a weird road for a movie to go down like this. They're gonna have their crazy uh, their crazy chase scene, of course. You know, that, that happens in this film, you know, where Captain Ron is abducted and they gotta go save Captain Ron, of oh, course. Right. I don't know why they do that for him, but you know, I guess because he's Captain Ron, your titular character. He can't die in this film because he's the angel of the of uh, the nautical world, you know. <laughs> exactly. And let's talk. Okay, since we're already here, let's talk about that ending. I'm listening, man. Go for it. I don't understand how he shows up in another boat in a suit with his hair all nice and pulled back, and he's not even wearing his eye patch, is he? That's that's the the angel Captain Ron. Is that the not, angel? He's not a real thing. He's not a real person. <laughs> he is an entity. <coughs> oh my God! You almost have me convinced that that is true. I, th- I think it is true in, th- in this case. I'm not saying Kurt Russell's an entity, but Captain Ron for sure is a character. It's not a person at all. He he is a a, man- a malevolent being who who has probably sunk many boats over the years. It's almost like it's almost like the Judgment Night episode of Twilight Zone where 
the, the German captain who sunk who sunk the the, the cruiser with, with his U-boat all those years ago has to relive the same nightmare over and over again of this him being on this boat and sinking over and over again. This is the Captain Ron nightmare. You know, either he does a really good job and he helps families find their way, or he sinks that motherfucking boat. So the, those, those yuppies at the end of that film, they probably died in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. You just blew my fucking mind. <laughs> wow. I hope everyone listens to this episode. Because this is some serious film theory we got going here. And I have not hired anything but Dr. Pepper people, okay? Oh, my. No no substance, okay? All I've had today is water. So, (laughs) wow. That's amazing. All right. So, Captain Ron's an angel. (laughs) Dean Prophet's a horrible gaslighting son of a bitch. Oh, by the way, I, I spotted the same toolbox that he was he was rocking overboard in Captain Ron. If no, I to, if I want, if I want to make a connection between the movies, you know, <laughs> he's rocking that same shitty wooden toolbox. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> that he probably fashioned himself. Oh boy, what Captain if there were, what if there were other captains too? Think about that because there's that one scene on the boat where they find the CG plus CL on the bed. And it's supposed to be Clark Gable and Carol Lombard. What if it was like Captain George and Captain Lucy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Clark Gable died in a boat accident. So I think your, your, your theory is sound, but I don't know if Clark Gable was still alive in <laughs> 1992, which I'm going to check right now. Just because we're bringing it up. But maybe Captain Ron could be the ghost of Clark Gable, since they, they, they made it a point to mention Clark Gable about 14 times during this film. That's true. He died in, 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 in 1960, so it's very, very possible that he could be the ghost of Clark Gable, and that he's been haunting nautical people for, for eons and eons and eons, you know, at least at least in the 30 years going up to this film. I love this movie. I, this movie <laughs> that you are making in your head right now, I love this movie. I like it better than Captain Ron. Okay, <laughs> but um, anything else you want to say about Captain Ron at all, man? Now that we we both blown each other's minds here, <laughs> there's nothing. This has to be the best review of Captain Ron anybody's ever given. You know, <laughs> most flattering review ever. There's nothing else I can say about Captain Ron except God, God, you will believe Kurt Russell can fly. <laughs> Oh, uh, ratings, I guess. You go give yours first, my friend. Um, I give Captain Ron a four, just in general, because I think it's just... it's It doesn't take full advantage of the concept that it sets up for itself. So some stuff that could have been really funny ends up either not funny or just mildly funny. However, the version of Captain Ron that you are positing, that is a 15. <laughs> okay. That is... That is beyond film. That's just meta. I love it. Oh, I forgot one aspect of the film. All the parts where Captain Ron is like, they, the way they film it, him hilariously not flirting with the daughter and wife. Him just walking around with a banana hammock on and, you know. Yeah. Just checking out their asses in the video camera. <laughs> so there's another theory where he throws Martin Short overboard and he just has a gangbang with those two hot ladies because... Mary Kay Place wasn't bad looking back in them days. I don't know about now, but that's uh, true. Well, what about the what about the the um, the native chick that he just jumps overboard and carries on to the island to bang? Well, he's Captain Ron. He can do anything, you know. It's just whatever, you know. He doesn't wear a shirt. 
he doesn't shave, you know. <laughs> the the eye patch makes him intriguing. That's that, that's a, that's a catch, dude. That's a ten there, man. You know. Wow. Maybe I'm just gonna start wearing an eye patch around the house just to see. <laughs> Do it. Of course, it's my luck to just be running into shit. <laughs> I was trying to be sexy, but I broke my toe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my rating is a five. You know, I think uh, Captain Ron Captain Ron Theory. It was like I said, it's a fifteen. Yes. Because you know. <laughs> I, this this is what happens when I start talking about movies with, with folks, and I'm glad we're compatible this way. That <laughs> we, we see eye to eye on these things. Yes. <laughs> Captain Ron Theory with X and Gary. <laughs> Sit down, and kids. We'll spin you a yarn about a movie that really doesn't matter, That's but we'll make right. it. We'll be, we're making movies better since 2015. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <sighs> But with with that, we'll uh, next we'll time come... we'll talk about screwballs. <laughs> oh, but with that, we'll come back and we'll close out the show. American Dream. He's just a common man. The American Dream, Dusty Rose Davis. I'm coming to you live and in living color to speak to you, the American people, a podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you, stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy, and all points in between. They'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a thou's carcass hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold, we talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme! Ah, Chinema. Porkies? Meatballs, too? Enjoy your crap fest. <laughs> oh, go read the bell jar, you poser! Klaus, prepare to feast your eyes on the majestic grandeur of the silver screen! Would you like to disappear? Disappear? Go undercover. You know this man? Who's here? I'm here. You're here. These victims are all the same physical type. What about him, Skip? Late 20s, 140, 150 pounds. Dark hair, dark eyes. Have you ever seen him before? I want to send you out there to see if you can attract this guy. How where? A New York City detective in search of a killer is about to disappear into the night. Is it dangerous? I can't talk about it. How do you know you're going to end up the same person when it's over? 
odyssey to the edge of city life. Bartenders are starting to give me some information. There's this uh, name keeps popping up all the time. There he is, the one with the hat. Is that the one that followed you? Yeah. Why didn't you go with him? I don't know. I think you should check him. What he sees. Who's here? What he feels. I don't think I can do the job, Captain. I don't think I can handle it. I'm here. There's just stuff going down. I don't think I can. Uh, I can deal with it. What he experiences. Yes! What he discovers will change his life forever. Al Pacino. Who's here? I'm here. You're here. Cruising. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me! And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. <laughs> Fight him! You are not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Fight him! Watch out for him. We'll be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. All my children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> it's the musical extravaganza that launches the 80s. It's Alan Carr's Can't Stop the Music. Once you see it, you'll know why you can't stop the glamour. Do the shake, do the shake, do the shake, do the milkshake, the milkshake, do the shake, do the shake, do the shake, do the shake, do the milkshake, the milkshake. You can't stop the excitement. You can't stop the laughter. Magic night, magic's in the music. It's a magic night. We all need to use. 
most of all, you can't stop the music. You can't stop the music. Can't stop Nobody the music. Starring stop Village music. People. Take the heat from flame. Try to feel it. Valerie Perron. Though you try in vain. It's what she sees. Bruce Jenner. Co-starring Tammy Grimes, June Havoc, Barbara Rush, Out to East Davis, Marilyn Sokol, and a special appearance by the Ritchie family. Once it begins, you can't stop the music. Sounds of the 80s are composed and produced by Chuck Forelli. Watch for the exciting new Pinnacle Photo Book, an EMI film from AFD. Original soundtrack records and tapes available through Casablanca Records. And we're back on the Cinema Beef podcast. <clears throat> Give you a little uh, idea of what we'll be getting into next time. And I have to say that this one was not my idea. This whole, this whole Captain Ron thing, I came up with that. But next time, we are going to take let's call it let's call, let's call it a straight eye for the queer guy and we'll be looking at cruising can't stop the music the village people movie and a nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge that's all the good time out there right now i cannot tell you how i cannot wait to see how all of these Fucking intertwine. I don't think intertwine. What a magical combination. <laughs> Filled with glitter and feathers and blood. You know, it could be a beautiful thing, man, you know. Be. Because really, a case could be made that all three of these films are musicals. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> there's that infamous room cleaning scene in Nightmare 2. And there's a lot yes, of, indeed. And there's a lot of bars in Cruising where they're playing music. So I don't know. That's something I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that when we when we watch these. See if there's a musical <laughs> element we can <laughs> bring into those other two movies. We'll see how that goes, really, man. Yeah. Also, interesting to note, the only one we know now that one of the stars of Can't Stop the Music is Bruce Jenner. Eh, well, then he's going uh, a different way now. So yes, he is. <laughs> he's gonna be uh, I don't know. What would you call the female edition? The female action of Bruce? I don't know. Uh, yeah. What is that? Brucette. <laughs> Br- Bruce said, <laughs> Brenda Jenner. I don't know. <laughs> Brenda, that could work. It's, it's really weird, though. But uh, <laughs> those damn Kardashians turn him into a female. See what happens, people? That's what reality TV does. That's what it does to you, man. But uh, X, anything you'd like to push, sir? Uh, now be the time. Go for it. Uh, let me go ahead and push the latest episode of Kiss the Goat, um, in which we God, we had such a good time in that episode. But we'll be talking about. The movie The Sentinel from 1977, starring Christina Raines, Burgess Meredith, and Chris Cernan's mustache. Um, it's a mess. It's a weird thing. But check out that episode. And conversely, I'm a guest on the Not So Evil Episodes sidecast with Mike Merriman and Douglas Tilly and Iris Savaria. And we are talking about movies about the rapture. Christian cinema is the topic of that show. 
So you can hear me talk about hell. You can hear me talk about heaven. Yay! Yay! <laughs> well, yeah, my stuff that happened is this show, of course, you listen to right now. Uh, I'm so excited about all the stuff we got caught up. We 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 planned like six months of show already. You know, so yeah, we're, we've got shit mapped out, y'all. It's gonna it, be great. No shortage of stuff to talk about. So hope you guys are looking forward to that, and I know I am. Uh, sloppy seconds is still happening. Uh, by the time you hear this, I'll probably release these right around the same day. Actually, uh, sloppy seconds we just did for what was the film we just did? I'm oh Starship Troopers two Hero of the Federation. Wow, it it, it wasn't awful to me, but people are, are terribly uh, drab on it, and I, I understand they're they're everything they say is right. <laughs> I just happen to like it for certain reasons. Ah. Uh, Next sloppy seconds past that, which probably released not much uh, after that, because I'm trying to release three episodes in the next month, because I only released one this month. We'll be doing Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives, which is a way take off from that film, but, you know, from Starship Troopers 2, that is. <laughs> in, in, in a good way, you know, I love me some John Caffrey and the Beaver Brown Band with yeah, a passion, yeah. so. Uh, t- uh, burn the Beard, try to get that back on track again. Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, we just released the Robocop episode. Uh, listen to that. It's it's really good fun. <laughs> if you go 14 minutes in, you'll find something really magical that you've never seen before, and then it might change your your might make you spit your soda out or just change your whole view on life because <laughs> it did it for me, people. Okay, and uh, yeah, hope you guys are enjoying those. Uh, thanks for keeping us on top of the pops almost for the Legion podcast downloads, and it's we the, love you for that. It's the OCP theory. <laughs> it is the OCP theory. Yes, indeed. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, find me on Twitter at GW. Uh, come join the Synthby Facebook group. Uh, the raffle still stands for you folks to rate and review us on iTunes, you lazy bastards. Any of those shows you heard just now, you have four or five chances to win. So if you go rate this show, The Bird and the Beard, Two Dream Venom Commentaries, or Sloppy Seconds, you have four chances to win uh, a few autographs I have, including a Danny Trejo autograph. A Charles Band autograph and a Jeffrey Combs autograph. A couple of random Blu-rays I have laying around the house that are extra that are that are unopened, and you guys could be, you know. So if you go do that, your name will be instantly in a raffle, and I will pull the names when I see we got, you know, more than a couple. So you know, get on that, folks. Do it. Do it now. But uh, with you, this has been Seven Beef Podcast. Always saying, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. See ya. Good night, folks.
The 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team? I mean, sure, they were underdogs, but that's not really a miracle. Not the team. Kurt Russell. He's been working steadily for 46 years. No low. No low! 